Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good evening and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, in studio with Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette, and we will be previewing USC's Saturday matchup, maybe the final rivalry game between USC and Stanford for quite some time. As always, make sure you're leaving your comments down below so we can put them on screen, and you can also call in by the end of the show, 5124-TUNNEL. But guys, we've got a new intro in it, and it makes us look cool, and that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> I love the intro. Shout out to uh, Chris Rash, who's a pair style member if you're not over there make sure you check it out but chris has uh, has been a great uh helping us over the years coming up with new video intros and uh picked out some different music for us so it's really nice uh i love it you got some uh, the the fresh highlights from this season already we got jack and connor represented on there so that's pretty cool uh but yeah it's great uh thanks to chris for the intro hope you guys enjoyed it so uh yeah it looked awesome to me Shout out to Chris already, including the Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson celebration. Yeah. One of the highlights of the two weeks of the season so far. Amazing job. Thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate it. Yeah, he turned it around really fast, too. So just a couple of days. So thanks for doing this. It's not his full-time job. He just did it. He's just, It should know. be. Yeah, no, should be. Yeah. He works in video, but like just doing it for us, that was just, it was really nice for him to do that. I've got to get him to get Chris's Michael Jackson dance he did during Instant Analysis yeah. yesterday, brought out the thriller and turned it into a, a GIF on Twitter. But that's got to make its way into the intro to mess, nah, mess with Chris. I don't know if we bit. want that, but no, we'll I don't see. think so either. Uh, but anyways, we'll be getting into USC's matchup against Stanford. As we mentioned, it's the final Pac-12 opener for USC, the last rivalry matchup between USC and Stanford for what could be quite some time. And we're sure that you as Trojan fans have some thoughts about it. So as we were saying, leave your comments on YouTube, wherever you're watching, we can get them on screen as we are right now. And if you want to call in at the end of the show so have your questions answered call in at 5124 tunnel and we'll make sure to get to those but guys usc and stanford it, it's been a, it's been a long storied rivalry usc's longest ever rival really and this might be the last matchup for quite some time what are some of your general thoughts as we've seen in practice this week kind of leading up to game time where do you guys want to start off yeah first it's tough i mean this is a a huge game, USC and Stanford, uh, you know, especially over the last 15 years. I mean, when, you know, Jim Harbaugh and the, like, what's your deal game with Pete Carroll and uh, David Shaw got it going. And then they've been pretty terrible the last couple of years. But even two years ago, you know, that was the game that got Clay Helton fired. So USC fans kind of a little happy about that. But there's a lot of history with USC and Stanford. I mean, the USC marching band has their Stanford countermarch that they play to kind of make fun of the Stanford band. And the Stanford band always makes fun of something with USC when they're doing their show. I mean, so much history, the weekender. It's it's really sad. I mean, I hate 
the way college football is going, you know, and, and especially on the West Coast, we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, but, you know, only having Oregon State and Washington State left, uh, you know, and Stanford going to the ACC, obviously. But that it just seems pretty impossible for those two teams to play until at some point college football changes to like there's going to be mega conferences and then they'll break out some regional stuff. But it, for the foreseeable future, it doesn't look like USC and Stanford are going to play again, which is sad because that's just been a just, you know, it's something that's been a hallmark of West Coast college football and so much history. And uh, I think, you know, it's important. I think Lincoln Riley and the players, when we heard this week, they, you know, they know how important this game is. It's obviously the conference opener, the very last Pac-12 conference opener. You're never going to have another Pac-12 conference opener again. So uh, it's one of those things that it, you know, there's, it, you know, like, there's a lot of history and nostalgia and tradition in college football, and this is just kind of marking the end of some of it. So it's a little bit sad for me, Connor. It is a shame, and you speak of tradition. Troy Taylor played quarterback at Cal, and he played in the Coliseum. So not for Stanford, but he's a Pac-12 guy going way back. And yeah. Now that's over. It's not even like the Pac-12 will continue either. To what you said, Oregon State and Washington State, they're probably going to join the Mountain West. The Pac-12 is done. So the fact that this is the last opener ever, not just for USC, but it's the last Pac-12 opening weekend because these are the only teams playing ever for the future, the rest of time. I can't believe I'm saying that. It is really sad, and it's been a great rivalry, USC-Stanford, even though it's sort of lost a little luster in the last few years with Stanford not being as good. Looking back at all those moments that you talked about and memories, it is very sad that this is it for two programs who really like to play each other. It's been it's been a fun ride. Yeah, well, we talk about you know the Pac-12, and we mentioned last weekend that there was such a great opening weekend. Ryan, I don't know if you want to shout out the Podcast Champions episode, but I'm sure it must have been a fun one with USC being thir- or the Pac-12 rather being 13 and 0. It's crazy, and uh, <laughs> there are seven Pac-12 teams ranked in the AP Top 27. So Colorado got in. Uh, Oregon State's in, you know, USC and Washington are in the top 10. I think Utah, Oregon are 12, 13, and, and Oregon State's like 16. And then, uh, you know, to have UCLA just kind of knock it on the door, and they could get in after, if they beat San Diego State this weekend. That's a lot of ranked teams. Now, the one thing last year, if you watched Pac-12, there were sort of like the haves and the have-nots. There was like the good, t- the top six teams just beat the crap out of the bottom six teams. But now these other teams are looking good. Like Colorado looks like they're feisty. They could beat people. Cal put up 58 points on the road. Stanford, you know, got a good win and, and scored. And they look like, you know, we'll talk about them a little bit. But these teams, Arizona State's probably the one team, at least for now, they don't look that good. But, you know, Arizona, you know, can score. They even gave USC some troubles last year. So I feel like the bottom of the league this year is going to be even better, which might hurt things because you'd like those six or seven ranked teams to continue that and only lose to them. But if one of those five teams that aren't ranked beat a couple of the six top six or seven, that's going to hurt the conference overall. But to have that many teams ranked on week one, and it's a huge weekend, uh, a lot of power five op- opposition for the Pac-12. And of course, USC Stanford in the opener. So it's, it's if you follow the conference, I mean, I know there's people are like, screw you, I don't care. But it's USC is still part of it, and it's a really kind of exciting conference right now with all the quarterbacks and, of course, everything that you know Coach Prime is doing at Colorado. It's crazy, too, the fact that you see it on Twitter, but just no conference has done what the Pac-12 has done in 40 years, winning yeah. all these games in the first two weeks, and then it's the conference that's going under. Of course, there's so many other factors than just play on the football field that went into the Pac-12 folding. It just, I don't know if it's funny, it's like a sad kind of funny that the league is doing so well and it's all going to go up in smoke in a few months now. 
it's just unfortunate. And you're right. Like Arizona, I could see beating a team like a Washington or, or beating an Oregon potentially just because that offense is so talented. I wouldn't be surprised. Washington State, I think, is a, is a good team who I think could make a bowl game as well. It's not just like the top teams are going to beat up on the bottom teams. Like you said, I, I think we could see some upsets too, which that's always fun in a league that's so deep. It's like a major league thing, Jack. You know, like remember that the movie Major League yep. where they're just like you're trying to tank. I think that's probably uh, Ted Lasso, too. I haven't seen that, but it seems very similar. Like the Pac-12 is just sort of like, yeah, the whole thing's imploding. Let's just go out and just destroy everybody. So, well, uh, and, and it might be interesting that like the Pac-12 this year might be its best based on like the teams, and they might still not put anyone in the playoffs because it might cannibalize itself. Like, yeah. it, it's definitely, I would say right now, the deepest conference in at least Power 5 college football. Like Maybe they don't have the high-end talent of a Georgia or a Michigan-Ohio State, something like that, but I don't think many people could argue it's, it's the deepest conference in the Power Five. It's got the best group of quarterbacks, and I know we're kind of going on a Pac-12 tangent, but like this is the year of the conference, and it, it is kind of ironic that it is the final year. But yeah. there are so many different rivalries in the Pac-12 that are two teams that are right in the same area. They're, you know, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, all those rivalries, USC, UCLA. One of the biggest ones that is kind of less dependent on proximity, I guess USC and Stanford are in the same state, but they're not, you know, by proximity rivals like some of these other ones. Like, this is one of the bigger rivalries outside of your general area in the Pac-12, USC and Stanford, and it's been going on for so long. So the fact that this is, you know, could be the last one for a while, it's bittersweet, but I think USC wants to go out with a bang and win this final one, and I think we think they can but we can get into breaking down kind of, you know, the, the, the smaller, more minute details of this game. Yeah. Uh, Oregon and Washington, that's a big one that, yeah. you know, the, the outside of like the kind of pairing, which the pairing in the Pac-12 was also very fun too. It's just it kind of worked, you know, like maybe Utah, Colorado was kind of forced, but whatever, but everything else, like everyone was paired up and it made a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, the, the Stanford thing, the, the, you know, USC schedule over the years because playing Notre Dame and Stanford playing Notre Dame and the Pac-12 never had a great solution. So USC and Stanford were playing in like week two and uh, it just never made a whole lot of sense. I think the 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 North uh, Northwestern schools didn't want um, all the California schools to be in the same division. That would have made a lot more sense than it would just make the scheduling work. But because they were out of the division, USC had to play Cal and Stanford every year and it made the rotation kind of weird. It's just there was always this um, sort of unique connection between these two schools. That's you know, it's sad that it's going to go away. Uh, I think even David Shaw, before he went out, was just like, hey, you got to figure out a way to play. But with USC having like a nine-game Big Ten schedule and Notre Dame, like I don't know if you're going to be able to put Stanford on the schedule. Uh, you're probably going to have to get home games for any of those those last two that you don't have previous, you know, scheduled already. So I just it seems really impossible for that to happen and. College football is changing by the day, so we don't know. I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff, but I feel like USA and Stanford will play, but it's probably not going to be within the next five or ten years. It's going to be after a major you know, tectonic shift in the college football landscape. I think that's the next time that these two teams will play, which, like we said earlier, is kind of sad. When do you think that is? Ten? 15 years. Lincoln Riley joked this morning it would be two years from now uh, on his yeah, press conference. He he's, he's like, well, you know, this might might all end up imploding in like two years or so. And, and I wouldn't put any dates anyone gives. I wouldn't rule out anything because at Pac-12 Media Day, I asked Kyle Whittingham about the last time facing USC for a while and he looked me in the eye and he said, this could all change in a day. <laughs> and that was back when George Klyovkov was like, 
no one's leaving, we're all staying. And then just Kyle Whittingham saying that, I was like, does he know something? And, of course, what ends up happening, Colorado leaves, and then Utah follows to the Big 12. So I thought that was interesting. And then real quick, I said uh, Arizona might beat Oregon. They don't play Oregon, but they could beat Washington. They do play Washington. Yeah, they could do uh – they could do that. So it's uh, what was it? I've just lost my train of thought. I, I derailed everything there. Just uh, with when will USC and Stanford oh, okay. play again? So here's the thing: uh, the biggest shift coming forward, I think, as far as realignment goes, it doesn't seem like there's there's not many you know fish out there that you would want to go after. So I, it seems like that's solid. But the college football playoff is what you have to watch now. That's going to be the big generating thing, and it's got a two year deal. That's still with ESPN. 2026, it's wide open. So that's a blank slate. You're probably going to see Fox and NBC and CBS and ESPN and you know, Disney or whatever all bidding on games similar to what we see in the NFL. Like where one team gets the Super Bowl every year and then you get this playoff game and you get this playoff game and um, they split it up and everyone's paid a lot of money for their thing. NFL does it really well. They're probably going to see something like that. But that's going to take some like overall leadership to kind of run that. And, and there's none of that. There is no leadership. But maybe that's the point where like the people running that sort of like, you know what, we need to do this differently. And I really think you got to switch the Olympic sports back to regional and maybe, you know, but that takes that it, it, you have to have like a college football czar. You have to have a leader and there isn't one. It's all these fiefdoms with the different conferences and stuff. But the new playoff in 2026, maybe that sort of like creates some kind of structure that can be the over you know overlord of college football. I don't know, but the, that would be the soonest I think something could happen like that. Without getting too into the weeds, it just seems like it's trending towards football players becoming employees, but then that opens up so many cans of worms. I think that would need to happen in order to get the Olympic sports back to playing regional action where football could just do whatever they needed to do, but Football like separates. Yeah, yeah, but that I don't think is in the near future because everyone involved in college athletics is fighting tooth and nail to not have the football players be employees because then that gets crazy with taxes and, and, and a lot yeah. more stuff needs to happen. So, I mean, it's certainly interesting, but the lack of leadership, if no one's going to drive the boat, then nothing's, you know, what's going to change is what people like what the conferences can do themselves, which is add teams. And that's what we've seen. But if no one's driving the boat, no, nothing can change overall. You know yeah. what I mean? That makes it tough. This seems like a very good off-season discussion yeah, that we yeah. can have. Let's focus on, on USC and <laughs> I told Stanford. Jack, like, let's try to keep it tight today. Let's not just go off the rails. <laughs> yeah, let's just talk about you know the 2026 and everything that might happen then. But USC and Stanford, uh, it's a matchup that you know you circle it because it is the last one potentially for a while. Um, but I feel like many fans, you know, this isn't one of the games they were super concerned about with USC having an easier schedule to, to start, as many people thought. But Stanford played pretty well in their first game. Uh, they're a team that's going to run the ball with the quarterback, and it's really going to be a whole different different look than the all the other games that USC has played against Stanford for the longest time. It's not that just ground and pound David Shaw defense attack anymore. It's going to be some quarterback runs, a lot more passing than you're used to. You'll still get the Stanford tight ends that I think you know many fans are, are used to and maybe gives them some nightmares from the past, but it's a different Stanford squad that looked pretty good in week one, but a team that didn't come in with many expectations. What have you guys seen from them through one week, and what do you expect for them coming into the Coliseum? Yeah, I mean, obviously only one game, and uh, you know at Hawaii though, it's a, it's a long trip. I was joking with David Woods because I, I had picked Stanford in this game and he had picked uh, Hawaii and I'm like you know Hawaii was playing in uh, Nashville they actually had a longer flight to get home <laughs> than Stanford did to get back to Hawaii but uh, obviously they, they weren't coming in on a Friday but this to me this is about you watched the David Shaw teams and you know they did some great stuff and I don't think it was all the Jim Harbaugh success but 
college football has changed. We were just talking about that, so maybe that's why we're kind of building up to this. It's changed a lot, and Stanford was not changing. And one person that certainly was not changing is David Shaw. There's there's some, I don't want to say comparisons to Dabo Sweeney because he's not like embracing the transfer portal and blah, blah, blah. You know, Clemson might be going down the tubes. We'll see. But Stanford definitely did. I mean, going three and nine, three and nine. I mean, if you go three and nine in college football in the 2020s, and you don't make a change on your coaching staff, there's something seriously wrong. You can't just stay. Well, we're going to keep Javita Pritchard as our offensive coordinator. We're going to keep. They kept everything the same when you went three and nine, and I mean, he's stu- he was stubborn to a fault, and it's it's one of those things where. Combined with the stubbornness of David Shaw, with the changing landscape, and you just couldn't, they weren't bringing any transfers in, just you know, unicorn transfers, that would be it. The only thing was crazy stuff. Um, it's it's not a, a way to, and they had smaller recruiting classes. There was no way to maintain a roster like that without Stanford changing with the times. And I think they started to do some NIL stuff, and they brought in more transfers this year. But you needed new leadership, and I think David Shaw... Saw the writing on the wall. You end up resigning, and you bring in Troy Taylor, and it's it's just like a breath of fresh air. So I feel like Stanford's not going to be a great team this year, but you just they're still good athletes there. I mean, you got the David Bailey's of the world. We'll talk about him, and you needed something to just sort of like rejuvenate uh, the program. Just bring in this was doing it. I mean, I remember talking to um, Austin Jones a little bit about you know he was only he was there like two years ago, and I had brought it up like when. Uh, you know, the, the Stanford was got left behind and the, the Pac-12 was breaking up. And, you know, I did you talk? He's like, I don't really have any friends there anymore. You know, and it was a couple of years ago. Things changed pretty quickly. But I think nothing changed faster than when you get a head coach. And it looks like Troy Taylor is going to be a good head coach. Like uh, we saw what, you know, Dion did. It's not just talent acquisition, but just having a buttoned up approach and fresh, you know, just a fresh set of eyes on everything. And it seems like, what he's doing is working. I don't think it's going to be enough to beat USC, but they're going to be better than like the three and nine. I thought I, I think I predicted them to go like two and ten or something this year, or it might even be worse. I might have picked them one and eleven, but they're not going to be that bad. I thought Colorado would be bad too. They're not going to be that bad. Just watching one game, I can look at these teams and go, okay, they're not going to be as bad as I thought they'd be going in, um, and that's a kind of where for me where Stanford is. USC is going to be able to you know out talent them and. Um, you know they're they're going to win the game. I don't know how by how much, but they'll win. It's just Stanford's going to be at least better than I thought coming in. And a lot of, it's just getting a good head coach. What happened to USC when you get Lincoln Riley? You go from four and eight to eleven wins. Like I think Troy Taylor is going to take them from like a three and nine team to you know five and seven. You know maybe a bowl team. I don't know. They but they look better to me. Um, and I think they're going to beat some teams in the Pac-12 that you might not expected them to beat. I really like Troy Taylor, too. I agree with a lot of what you said there, Ryan. I think you know how sometimes you just want your head coach to have a clue? Like sometimes there are guys and it just (laughs) doesn't work out, and you're like, oh, that was a mess. It looks like right off the bat Troy Taylor has a clue, and what he did at Sacramento State was so great. Those offenses were awesome. And I'm a high school football guy, so the fact that he was at Folsom High School up in Northern California, and that's what led to him getting a college job, I think that's really cool. A guy who played at Cal, like I said, but – you know, he, he started from the bottom in the coaching profession, so that's really cool to see. I like him a lot. What you mentioned with David Bailey, that's absolutely right. So Stanford has four players I'll quickly hit on, and then, Jack, we can toss it back to you. But David Bailey, the rush end, defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him, he's a surefire NFL prospect, and he's going to give whoever is at right tackle, whether it's Michael Tarquin or Mason Murphy, a challenge. 
And I think he's the, or I don't think, I know he's the best defensive lineman USC has played this year. So right away, that's a matchup to watch. I also look at, uh, excuse me, Colin Wright, the cornerback. He's an NFL prospect for Stanford, really talented guy. I know USC with Caleb Williams and those receivers. They, yeah. One guy won't make that big of a difference, but at least you're going up against someone who has a future in football at the next level, someone who will really challenge you. And then on offense, Ashton Daniels, Jack said he could run. That's certainly a part of their game. Troy Taylor said on his press conference this week, we run the quarterback yeah. against USC. Like design runs, We're, not yep. not like scramble away. Yep. Like you, here's a play where running the quarterback. We're yeah. going to keep doing that. And then their tight end, Ben Urosik, is another NFL guy. So they have some talent. And for the first time all year, it's guys who USC will have to game plan for. And they'll have to maybe make some adjustments, which is which will be fun. They're 30 or 29-point favorites, so it's not like this game will be that close. But finally, you have a chance to show what you can do against some guys uh, on, if you're on USC who, who are similar to you and the fact that they're really talented. Yeah, like a guy like David Bailey, USC recruited and didn't get out of modern day. I mean, so they're, Nevada and San Jose State didn't have guys like that. They had guys that were playing for USC before and, and couldn't get on the field and they <laughs> joined their team. So it is a different feel, Jack. Yeah, there weren't many guys, I don't think maybe you could say any, through two weeks where USC would be like, I would want to add, I would give them a scholarship to play for us right now. Like, there are players like that on Stanford's roster. So this is the first time USC is running into that. It's also definitely the most unique offense they've played so far. Unique in, in a couple of ways. One in that this isn't the Stanford that they're used to seeing. So I know Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, this is only their second year at USC. But there are some people here that have seen Stanford come in a couple times at the Coliseum. They've gone out to Palo Alto to play Stanford a couple times. So this is going to be a much different Stanford offense than before. You're not relying on tendencies that you've seen in years and years of playing David Shaw like this is you're going back to some Sacramento State tape to figure out how to play against this offense and then it's also just they do some things that Nevada and San Jose State didn't do like Chevin Cordero ran but not by design that's different that Ashton Daniels is going to be put on the move and he is going to be given carries where the play starts and his objective is to run then he had 11 rushes for 42 yards I think in their first game against Hawaii we'll see if he can hold up to that physically this only being his second college game and USC being a far more physical team bigger body than Hawaii We'll see if he can kind of get through the line that many times without taking many big hits. I know Tackett Curtis is probably waiting to lay a big one. And, you know, there's tons of defensive linemen for USC that are just much stronger than the guys that Hawaii has. But it's a different offense in the fact that you've got that rushing attack by design for the quarterback, which USC hasn't seen yet. You've also have, as, as Connor mentioned, an NFL-level tight end, which USC struggled with last year. They haven't really faced one so far this season. So it'll be pretty interesting. The only kind of concern I think you have if you're Stanford is Ashton Daniels is pretty inexperienced. You know, he's only had one college start, played pretty well in his first game against Hawaii, but now you're rolling into the Coliseum, a night game. It's going to be a very loud atmosphere. First time playing in front of a huge amount of fans. I'm pretty sure Hawaii Stadium holds only 15,000. So there will be four <laughs> times that many people, even if you know the Hawaii Stadium was sold out, four times that many people at the Coliseum playing against one of the biggest brands in college football in USC. So it's, it's a different beast. We'll see how Daniels can handle it. But it's an interesting thing for USC. I'm, I'm curious to see how the defense will play because... This is a couple things they struggled with last year, you know, design quarterback runs, uh, as well as, you know, facing a tight end. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I think it could be a challenge, but we saw them step up to the challenge last week and improve against Nevada, and we'll see if they can do the same thing here this week. And I think, you know, last week uh, against the Wolfpack, you're having your two starting linebackers out, Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry, and then losing Taka Curtis very early in the game. You know, they're not going to hurt you as badly. Now, we don't know. So Lincoln Riley didn't give us an update as far as, like, we don't know if Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry are going to play. Tiger Curtis will play. You know, we were, it was funny. We were talking to uh, uh, 
um, what's it? What my like? Oh, Rajon Davis, and uh, you know, he was he was unsure whether the uh, the targeting thing, you know, uh, rolled over, and uh, we're like, no, no, he was he, he got ejected in the first the first first half, so he only missed the second half, and then he can play again. Um, by the way, if you didn't see that, we did a special tunnel vision on Sunday with uh, Rajon Davis, Connor, and I. And we got another player coming up this week, uh, so make sure you check out that out. It won't be live, but we'll it will put it up on our YouTube channel. So uh, those through House of Victory. So make sure you guys check those out. But you know, this is a different beast. It would be great for USC if you have those options um, to bring in, you know, Eric Gentry, who could you know really help as far as the pass game goes, or uh, you know, Mason Cobb maybe spying on uh, Daniels, you know, to, to get in there and not let him take off and run. Uh, just having some options, and and you know Alex Grinch could play around with different personnel. I know Shotgun was a real big fan of having like a Christian Roland Wallace sort of rollover, you know, for a big tight end and try to get into coverage there. Um, there's a lot of depth on the USC defense, and I think having those extra linebackers will give some more options to try to defend this, like Jack said, a kind of a unique, uh, you know, Stanford offense. So we'll see. Uh, if those guys play, you know, just follow us along. We'll be there uh, in the Coliseum to see if those guys dress out. It was a little surprising they didn't dress out last week, but, um, you know, we'll see if they dress out this week and it would be a big help to kind of slow down that Stanford offense. We have talked a lot about Stanford's offense. Jack mentioned how Ashton Daniels is only a guy who's made one start, and here are some of the negatives. Their offensive line, three guys made their first ever start in college against Hawaii, so really inexperienced. And yeah. We all saw what USC did against an inexperienced Nevada offensive line last week. They feasted. They had 10 tackles for loss, five sacks. Um, so I, I expect a little bit of more, more of the same in, in that regard. The receivers for Stanford, the tight end is good, but the receivers are not very good. Running backs are all right. It, it's outside of those few guys who I mentioned, it's going to be very tough for the Cardinal to really – do much because they don't have the talent needed to compete with the USC. So that's why I look at the 29 points. It's a lot, but I think USC can cover because I just believe that Stanford won't be able to stop them defensively. And then USC, I, I think they'll have an easier time with the Stanford offensive line. So we are talking up Stanford and what Troy Taylor's done deserves a lot of credit. That team was not in a good place a year ago from where we are today, but they still have a long way to go to to close it on USC. And I, I think the Trojans win big and the spread's huge, so that's not exactly a surprise. Yeah, EJ Smith, Emmett Smith's yeah, kid. Yeah, I was going to mention him too. Yeah. USC so. had some problems with him a, a little bit last year. And the, the Sanford game was one of the more interesting ones. It was kind of like that first test that, that we were kind of talking about. They played Rice, then they went to play Stanford, and they killed him in the first half. They scored 35 points in the first half. And then for really one of the only times all season, like Lincoln Riley's offense slowed down. They couldn't get much going. They had some penalties. They just weren't moving the ball a whole ton. They benefited a lot from takeovers in that game, just as they did against Rice. I think it was at least three takeaways from uh, the Stanford offense. Yeah. So it, it was and some of them are in the red zone as well. So that was a game that like maybe a couple dominoes fall the other way and Stanford beats USC, but also with how well the USC offense played in the first half, like you could just tell USC was a much better team than Stanford. It was a pretty sloppy game. So we'll see if USC comes out and they've got a, you know, a better approach. But that was really one of the few offensive halves that we haven't seen Lincoln Riley click really. And, and so that was that was definitely something to watch. And it was weird watching them play so well in the first half and then struggle so much in the second half. But Yeah, Stanford scored 14 points in the fourth quarter, so like made it closer than it, it was. USC, yeah, that's one of those 
fans that kind of walked out of the Coliseum, a little bad taste in your mouth. Or, I mean, uh, not the Coliseum. They were up, that was up in uh, Palo Alto, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a weird one. But Connor kind of hit the nail on the head. Stanford's offensive line, that was the big thing that struggled pass-blocking-wise in the first game. And you got to mention it, it, it was only Hawaii. So, you know, <laughs> every, we're talking about USC. We don't know how, how good they are quite yet because they've only played San Jose State and Nevada. It's, Hawaii is kind of on that Nevada tier. San Jose State's a better team than Hawaii is. Um, and, you know, Hawaii, not the greatest team, but Stanford didn't play well on the offensive line pass blocking wise. Right now, according to PFF, USC has the eighth best pass rush in the nation. So that could be a, a place that USC exploits the Stanford offense. It just depends on whether they can bring Ashton Daniels down. And you know, Troy Taylor's a guy where maybe Lincoln Riley's trying to save stuff in the playbook for later in the season. But this is a big game for Troy Taylor and Stanford. Like they're not going to hold anything back. They'll do some tricky things. I, I think they'll run with the quarterback and try and test Alex Grinch in that defensive line to see how disciplined they can be uh, and just how well they can stop Ashton Daniels, but they'll do some creative things to try and, you know, move him out of the pocket, try and make it so USC can't just tee off with the pass rush against that offensive line. But I think USC's defense will play well enough definitely to get the win. But the question is kind of like it is every week until we really know for sure what this defense is like is how many points are you giving up? Uh, how many times are you getting the ball back to the offense early in drives? They did a very good job of that against Nevada, a so-so job again, uh, a so-so job of that against San Jose State. And now here's kind of that third test. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, hey, thanks everyone that's watching live. I think we're live on all three platforms, by the way. But if you're in uh, YouTube and you want to hit the like or your Facebook, you want to hit the like, that'd be great. Or if you're watching on our uh, on our Twitter, then you can retweet or something like that too. Yeah, we'll do all those things and leave your comments. That way we can get to them. If you put a question mark or you say question, we can answer those at the end. And then also anyone's asking about calling in, you can call in at 5124-TUNNEL and we'll get to those in a bit. Are there any concerns for you guys about USC's offense and the way they can play against the Stanford defense? No, no none for me. On the Stanford offense, Jack, you mentioned the, the trick plays and I think we'll see a decent amount of that. They tried like three flea flickers against Hawaii. Yeah. The one other interesting thing with Stanford, I don't think USC will be challenged much by the Stanford defense. Stanford just has a great kicker in Joshua Cardi. Yeah, they always have good kickers. He, he, yeah. he Trent or Troy Taylor, not Trent Taylor. Troy Taylor said that if they get to the 40, they're comfortable kicking. So maybe that could affect some uh, some bets because it's such a big point spread if, if their kicker comes in late. But to answer your question, Jack, no, I, I think it's going to be the same old story for USC. I expect the offensive line to rotate less with Gino Quinones being out, and we'll see what more continuity with that group looks like. I think it's going to be the group everyone expected heading into the season with the transfers, Dietrich, Monheim, and then, yeah, those three. So I think really the only way USC can – get beat in this one is if they beat themselves in, in my opinion I don't think Stanford has the talent unless David Bailey goes god mode and gets like three strip sacks or he does something <laughs> crazy he, he's the only guy on that defense that can really change the, the outcome in this one so no I, I think it'll be business as usual for USC one of the historic things with Stanford we've seen them uh, sort of struggle in the red zone David Shaw was famous for like punting on the plus 36 and stuff uh, doing things like that uh, Stanford did score on, I think, six of their first seven drives against Hawaii, but three of those were field goals. So, I mean, they're willing to take that. We haven't seen a lot of field. We saw a couple 54-yarders attempted against USC. You got to get the feeling you got to score touchdowns against USC. So, we'll see. You know, you know, USC might score a couple touchdowns, and 
if Stanford moves the ball, they might kick a couple of field goals, you know, and that's, that's not going to, you're not going to beat USC by no. kicking field goals. So that, but that's you might cover Stanford the spread. <laughs> that's you right. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. The thing about the, the game last year against Stanford is USC stepped up in the red zone. And that was kind of that early season thing where they were getting turnovers in the red zone, stopping like they would allow the team to basically drive 70 yards, but not let them score or they would hold them to three. And that's when we thought like, wow, this is an interesting defense. They're resilient. You know, they, they, they get the takeaways. And when those went away, that's when everyone kind of started to see that the defense was not very good last year. So we'll see if it's a, if it's a similar thing this year, but I think I, you know, agree with Connor. I'm not too concerned with the standard. Stanford defense going up against USC's offense as long as they can limit the penalties, find a way to, I guess, console David Bailey a little bit. Maybe he gets one sack. Maybe he's putting pressure on Caleb Williams. But, you know, putting pressure on Caleb Williams and bringing Caleb Williams down are, are two very different things as we have seen now for, you know, a full season and two games. But I'm not too concerned, as, as Connor said, with the way that the Stanford defense might try and slow down Lincoln Riley's offense and, and Caleb Williams. The other thing is, uh, the only thing is, I'm, I'm curious to see how much USC opens up the offense offense. You know, they're starting conference play. Is this a time where they start doing more of the normal Lincoln Riley things? Do they open up the playbook a little bit more? Maybe stop rotating quite as much, try and get a solid five on the offensive line, a similar group of wide receivers out there for the majority of the game. That's one thing that we'll definitely be watching because it is another one of those games where not fully expecting USC to lose. I think there's a slim chance, if, if any, that Stanford wins, but this is where we start to see how USC will, will kind of form the roster and the rotation throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, we saw, I mean, if you're going to treat the first two games as sort of like NFL preseason games, uh, you know, we Chip Kelly's kind of famously done that a lot when he was at, at UCLA. Uh, I'm not saying that Lincoln Riley did that. I mean, they won, won game by 52 points. But I would say there was a lot of rotation. Even that Nevada game, you had three different offensive line combinations going in. No more Gino Quinones. You know, we talked about that earlier, USC losing him for the rest of the season. So that, that was a good cut down on the offensive line rotation right there. But we might not see as much. You might see... Um, here's what we think the starters are going to be now because now you're going into conference play. And I, I really feel like Lincoln Riley is just a zillion percent focused on winning the Pac-12 in the last year. And you, you can't do that without winning. You know, you want to win all these games and Stanford's one of them. So I, it will be interesting to see, are you still mixing around with offensive line combinations and things like that, uh, defensive rotations, or are you, you're kind of sticking with uh, some guys and like, okay, it looks like, these are, these are the guys that are going to be starting, and maybe there's positions that you rotate, or you know you see guys coming in for certain packages, like Christian Rollo also like, was coming in, um, or that like dime package kind of thing that they were using more, um, which you would normally not use against Denver, but they might now. So yeah, it'll, that'll be something to watch, sort of like, how is Lincoln Riley looking at this? Is it now like, okay, preseason's over, here's who we think should be starting, and they're just going to, this is the offensive line. These are the guys that are playing, and we have guys ready if anyone gets hurt. I'm interested to see that, too, because of the offensive line with no Quinones. So Alani Noah could come in and Mason Murphy could come in. But I don't think anyone else is going to come in until garbage time. I think Lincoln Riley is going to roll with that seven. And he mentioned that in today's press conference. He said, yeah, we feel pretty good about seven, maybe eight. But I, I think the seven, the, those starters who started against Nevada, and then Murphy and Alani Noah, that's your core of offensive linemen. Yeah. So I don't know how much Murphy and Noah will get in if they just want to run with that first five or if they want to keep rotating a little bit with the two other guys. I'm not sure. Receiver will see a ton of rotation. Quarterback, it'll be Caleb, of course. Running back will be Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones. So I think the one big area on offense is the O-line because I think everything else you, you can – like against the best teams you're going to play, you're going to rotate a lot. Um, so I, I'm in interested to see what they do with the O-line. And then defensively, 
up front they'll rotate a lot. Linebacker, that's the biggest question though. Who the heck's going to play and yeah. what's that going to look healthy. like? Yeah. If they're not healthy, then you're just going to play those dudes. And then if they are healthy, then who's going to play? Yeah. And Zion, I'm, Zion Branch was the guy that was coming in that dime package, I believe. So, but mm-hmm. then I think when Wallace and Roland Wallace back, too, he was suspended, so he missed it. He came back too. So those are guys that like you might be able to put on. Uh, a big tight end, you know, we'll see. So that, that just watching what the rotation is going to be and like make sure you check out shotguns, uh, snap counts and all that. You might see a little less rotation, I'm guessing, just because it's the first conference game. Yeah, you also might see USC go with, you know, a different defense than they might use for the rest of the season because they have to prioritize stopping a tight end. Like they're they're less concerned about wide receivers because Urosic on the other side is probably the biggest weapon for for Stanford outside of Ashton Daniels' legs. So it's going to be interesting. Does USC go with a heavier package? Do they devote, you know, one person that normally might be playing all over the field? Do they devote one person to, to stopping the tight end? And who is that person going to be? Like that was the big question last year where you feel like maybe, oh, Eric Gentry is a guy that could do that. But he wasn't healthy for some of those games. Uh, you know, late in the game when Dalton Kincaid was going off against Utah, Eric Gentry was on the sideline. Like you would think, maybe his wingspan, his athleticism, is is would make it easier for him to guard a tight end. They had Max Williams sometimes on tight end, didn't work out, and they you know tried to put Shane Lee sometimes, it didn't work out. Like it's going to be very interesting to see first couple snaps in the first big third downs. Who's Alex Grinch tabbing to go over Urosic and try and guard him? Do they double team? Do they play man? Do they play zone? It's going to be one of those interesting questions. And really, I don't think we have an answer yet. We can maybe make some guesses. Maybe it's Rajon Davis because he's so athletic. Maybe they're bringing in a safety or or one of the nickels that have played well so far. But we're kind of just going to have to wait and see and, and then see how they play. And then I'm sure USC is going to adjust from that. But for me on defense, that's the main question is who is playing against the tight end or is USC devoting more than one person? Yeah, you can't have like Dalton Kincaid uh, situations where 15 <laughs> catches, 15 targets for like a million yards so you those are nightmarish situations so you can't you can't you don't want to be asking i know lincoln riley and alex Grinch don't be answering those kind of questions uh after the game so they, w- they, they're gonna need a good plan going in the thing with kincaid too it, it was about 50 percent him getting open and 50 percent that was when usc just kind of forgot how to tackle and they've tackled yeah. much better through two games so maybe they give up 50 percent of the yards but even if they do that's still a 100 yard tight end game which you never want to <laughs> give up but if you just even if you can't stop them from catching the ball, if you tackle the tight end there where they catch it and you don't allow them to get yards after the catch, which Kincaid was weirdly good at for a tight end. There aren't many tight ends built like him for yards after the catch, but USC needs to tackle much better against tight ends as well, which I think you're probably more confident in the defense this year doing that because of how well we've seen them tackle through two weeks. I'd love to have Christian Roland Wallace matchup against Urosic. I think that would be a great matchup for USC. He's bigger. He's really athletic, strong. Jalen Smith, a little smaller. Max Williams, who we saw in tight ends last year, definitely smaller than Urosic. I just think that matchup makes a lot of sense, and it's a way to get a guy on the field who, by all accounts, Lincoln Riley wants to see it on the field more. Maybe you have Damani Jackson and Sierra Wright stay as the boundary corners, and Roland Wallace will come in and play some nickel and defend Urosic in that way. Maybe he splits time with Jalen Smith. To me, that is what makes the most sense if you have a matchup problem with a tight end. Christian Roland Wallace put him in that spot and have him guard the bigger guy because he's so big. We'll see. I don't really know what to expect, but if I was the coach, that's what I'd do. Yeah. Well, there you go. The other thing that kind of harping back on last year's game that was an issue for USC was the penalties, and that was a little bit of an issue for them against Nevada. It was more of the offense, I would say, than the defense. And, you know, Justin Dietrich 
kind of raised his hand during his press conference earlier this week. He's like, yeah, you know, let's get it out of the way. I had some penalties, but USC in a game like this can't afford to let Stanford stay in it for too long because of, you know, mistakes on USC's side. So you guys feel any concern about penalties this point in the season, or do you think it was kind of just one game? You know, it's sort of been like in groups. Like in the first game, the opener, it was like the secondary getting penalties. And then in the second game, it was the offensive line getting penalties. And if you're looking at where you're most concerned with now, uh, I think my shift has probably ch changed the secondary on the defensive side as the most concerning group. Because um, I've seen the other line, you know, the line play better, the linebackers play better. Uh, I think, you know, you got to see the secondary step up. They No interceptions yet. You want to see them make some plays. They've definitely had the most breakdowns, I think, on the defensive side of the ball. And then, you know, on the offensive side, it's definitely been the offensive line. So, you don't, I don't think you want either of those groups to get uh, penalties. You know, you don't want to see the targeting kind of stuff, too. But, yeah, I think it's – I think there's things that were addressed a little bit. But that's something to watch. Like, if is the offensive line getting penalties again? Is the secondary getting penalties again? I think that would be a bad sign for USC. I'm definitely not too concerned about Dietrich. I think he just had an off game. I don't expect yeah. him to – have a bad snap and a few penalties consistently. I just don't think that's who he is. And catching up with him this week, he kind of was embarrassed and laughed like, yeah, I had some penalties. Uh, um, that was unacceptable. So he, he knows the standard that is held to these USC linemen. So he'll bounce back. Penalties in the secondary, that's always a concern, no matter what yeah. the football team is. If you're USC, if you're Alabama, if you're Georgia, getting those costly pass interference calls or stuff down the field, holding, that can really cost you defensively. So I think that's always a concern. USC improved in that way against Nevada because Nevada didn't really throw the ball too much. So that's something that I'll definitely be watching. But overall, Jack, I'm not too concerned. Until USC gets into these bigger games and we can evaluate what the penalty situation is like against a really solid opponent, I don't think I'll be concerned until yeah. then. All right. Well, I'm sure there's people in, in, in the caller queue that have some concerns, some questions, so we'll go to them. We've got three callers. I, I will say, you know, as a preface to bringing in callers if you don't have a question or you're rambling on for too long we had to do it last week don't go too long or we'll cut you off so just yeah. just a just a fair warning to anyone that might call in if you can't talk anymore it's because we've cut you off so just get to it quick and start with your question instead of maybe just a bunch of different comments but we'll start with our first caller this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning 
Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi. Hi, it's Dr. K. And just quickly, Ryan, congratulations on all the talent that you've brought in over the years. It'd be interesting to see where they've all gone. You know, over the years, but the two that you have right now, uh, I see a huge future for both of them. Um, what I wanted to bring up was in my day um, on football, where you had a kickoff return specialist, and they were lined up one from the well, they were lined up one to the left, one to the right, the kickoff, and then they would get right in the middle, so you wouldn't kick it to the left as Zachariah branches on the right. And why that's not happening, or why it wasn't any good. The second thing, real quick, is I'd really like to see some of you or, or somebody, if it's not already done, statistically to find out uh, defensives from maybe the top 20 teams. Um, you know, take, for instance, last year, Georgia, you know, be Kent State, 39 to 22. Um, Alabama has given up 40 points. And, and it's not like our fans who are just really getting on our defense. Well, is it like that with all the other fans? Tulane and Colorado, 40 points or so. So I'd like to hear your comments on that. Thanks very much. It's great to be back. Uh, and we're in Ventura County now, so we're happy to be back here uh, from uh, Salt Lake. Thanks very much for everything you do. Thanks, Dr. K. Um, thank you, Dr. K. Very thank nice. You very really much. appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, you know, RJ does a pretty good job breaking down sort of statistical things from the defensive side. I think it just came down to, yeah, like Alabama gives up points, Georgia gives up points. It's not like, you know, people, I think uh, Dan Weber did a thing on how many points that USC's defense from like 2009 gave up and compared to like the last like four games. I forget what it was, but something like that. It was, um, it's just college football has changed. I think what the USC side was that you weren't getting any stops whatsoever towards the end of games and just Utah would just never get stopped. They, UCLA got stopped once and that was with the interception. <laughs> uh, Tulane never got stopped. And so I think that's the thing. It's like you, you're you going to give up points, but you can't you know, fail to get any stops whatsoever. And that's sort of what was going on. But we, I think we dive in with statistics on that. Um, I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. And, well, just too with the, with the Georgia-Kent State example, I've seen that a lot. And it's one thing if you're Georgia, who's the year before they played Kent State, they won the title. So you can afford a game where you don't look at your best because you won the national championship the year before. Yeah. I think when you're USC, a team that's trying to get to that point, fans, and rightfully so, if they don't think the defense looks good enough that they have questions, it's okay to be critical. And I bet a lot of Georgia fans were probably critical of that Kent State performance too, but the Bulldogs just won a championship. So those fans, I'm sure, were more happy than they were upset after one bad game. I just think that's really interesting when people have compared the San Jose State game to Georgia against Kent State. Georgia's in a different class than USC, and until USC either makes the playoff or wins it, that's going to always be the case. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I, if you're Alice Grinch, if you're the USC coaching staff, like I know you understand that fans might have a reaction to the first game, but to, to be completely fair, they don't care. If they win the game and you know they see the players moving in the right direction that they want, they don't care that they gave up 28 points at San Jose State. Maybe they'll harp on it uh, you know, to the positions that get them to improve, but their goal is not to play their best defensive game in week one or week zero. It's their, They want to be playing it towards the end of the season, so they're going to take the steps that they believe are going to get them there. For them, that was rotating, trying different things, you know. and I think that you can see that they improve from, from week zero to week one. If they improve from week one to week two, you can start believing leaving a little bit more into what the, what the staff is thinking but I totally get it as Connor mentioned as a fan like 
this defense wasn't good last year. You want to see them start off on the right foot, but also if you were expecting USC to play their best defensive game in week zero or look like you know a perfect defense in week zero, I think that was just a little bit unrealistic. And then like the kickoff return, I guess the formation, if you wanted like a side-by-side thing, I think USC's just kind of, I mean, I think there's different philosophies. It's just sort of what they do. I don't know. I think if you have one back, this is a total guess. And Jack, if this is wrong, please let me know. Or Ryan. Isn't Zachariah Branch just so athletic that if he can get to anywhere, he can, you know, if you have a guy who's so fast, you only put one back there and then you have an extra blocker. So if he gets the ball, then he can run up the field with the extra blocker. I think two people back there. Yeah, and, and sometimes USC does have a second person back there, but they're a little bit more forward they're, for a yeah, shorter Yeah, more of an offset kind of thing. Yeah, so I think that secondary returner is just kind of as football's evolved, floated up the field more towards midfield and yeah. leaving the, the one returner back there. And most of the time, the ball's going through the end zone. Or a if lot you're of the that time. deep, yeah. yeah. That, that for, the, top, the front returner usually is kind of his like running mate. And, you know, if he's... He can kind of get the short one off to the side sometimes. It just depends. But, yeah, I just think that's what they do. I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's that big yeah. of a deal. But he, there also just is, he returned one for a touchdown, so that seems pretty good. There isn't a big drop-off, too, between most teams. You know, first returner and second returner. It's not like, you know, it's such a foreign skill to, to everyone now that you have to have, like, one guy that's good at it and no one else can do it. You know, all these high school kids come out and they're so athletic. If you teach them to catch the ball right, they can be pretty good returners. So, like, if one happened to go the other way and didn't go to Zachariah Branch, Taj Washington, or whoever's back there, Michael Jackson, maybe, they're perfectly capable returners. So it's not like you're losing anything too much. But we've got a couple more callers that we can get to right now. Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is David Shad. How's my audio? Good. Sounds good, David. Thanks for calling in. So here's my here's my question. So... I went to USC, class of 2015, returned for my master's, and I've always wondered this, so excited to call in. And my question is not only for USC, but all of the great programs in college football. What are your thoughts about not only playing to win the game as a team, but to also run up the score to build player stats, including the Heisman? We all did it, padded our stats playing Madden 2004 with Michael Vick on the cover. These first two games, Caleb could have easily had eight touchdowns in each of these early cupcake games. I'm talking keep the game plan and the starters in the entire game, regardless of the score. You get a lot of benefits. You get huge hype and energy around the program, putting up 100 points. You get to build cohesiveness with the starters, which is huge with the transfer portal. You get to pad your stats, leading to individual awards like the Heisman. It's great for recruiting. going to be super swaggy, like the 01 Miami Hurricane team. And then you get momentum going into the non-cupcake games. And the only negatives I really see are a little bit of an increased chance of injury. But I recall in the first game, they took Caleb out, but then we left in all the defensive starters for several more minutes, which is probably more dangerous playing defense. And then maybe the backups don't get some PT and some haters are going to cry that we're stat padding. So what are your thoughts about not only winning, not only playing to win as a team, but to also run up the score to build player stats to win those Heismans? And shout out to Frank the Tank, Steven, Ron, and Kyle as the world's biggest USC fans. Fight on. All right. Thanks, David, for that one. Um, Yeah, so I would say the big negative is that you don't get to play the backups. And I think that was one of the – for years at USC, that was a negative because it wasn't they were blowing people out. They should have been blowing people out and weren't. Now you finally get an opportunity to. It's great to have Miller Moss on, you know, for more than a quarter and throwing like 10 games as the backup. You know, ten t- throwing ten times as the backup coming in, I think that's invaluable. And I think you're, you're it's nice to pad stats, but if you want to try to build for the future, 
Um, the fact that you can rotate guys in and bring other guys in and let them get real playing time, and especially when you can do it in the third quarter. It's not even like, you know, the game's, there's still a lot of game left. It's not just you come in and take a knee with five seconds left. You're actually getting an opportunity to throw the ball, uh, to, run, you know, diff try different running backs, do all those things. I think that's the most important uh, aspect of it. And, you know, there's, I, we've seen, you know, Oregon put up 81, whatever, on, uh, Portland State and bit some guy's ear off or whatever. Like, that doesn't seem cool. But it, just, <laughs> it gets around a little bit, too. And, I, you know, it can help recruiting, but it can also hurt recruiting yeah, because if you're not playing, the, you know, when you're playing, Deuce Robinson comes in, he's a five-star, and he catches a 71-yard touchdown. That probably helps recruiting more than getting Dorian Singer a whole lot more touches, right? So I think there's more negatives than what you were listing there. Um, but, I mean, you know, some people kind of do stuff like that. But I think the benefits of getting guys playing time is it's huge. And you can't just gloss over the injury thing either. Like it's not a it's not a low it's not like a low chance of injury. Like anytime you're playing football against anyone, you're risking injury on every play. So the more plays your starters are playing, kind of as as a group would go up exponentially when you're playing, you know, that many more snaps, uh, trying to run up the score. Like it's not just a you can't just brush that aside. Like there is definitely a potential for injury, and I think I agree with Ryan that getting the getting those the, the younger guys to play, some of the more backup guys to play, like that's better for recruiting than running up the stats, in my opinion. Yeah. And the thing with the Heisman, Caleb's put up Heisman-like numbers in the first two games. It's not like taking him out has negatively affected his Heisman chances. Keeping him in, that really wouldn't have added anything if he thrown an extra touchdown or two against a Nevada or a San Jose State. That's a season-long award, and both of those performances that he's put in so far this year have been Heisman caliber, so I don't think taking him out really did anything. As for the defense staying in against San Jose State, that's because the defense needs all the help it can get. So the fact that you were still running your ones late in that game, I was encouraged by that. The fact that Damani Jackson was in on coverage in that final touchdown against San Jose State, I, I was happy he was out there. A guy who hasn't played that much, guy who you're going to rely on. You wanted to get him reps. So that's just, even though these guys are starters, that's to your point, Ryan and Jack, you, you want to get these guys in who haven't played a lot, even if they are your starters. So I think... On offense, you bring in Deuce Robinson. On defense, you keep Damani Jackson out there because he hasn't played a lot and you want to get him reps. Yeah, yeah, and, and they can can learn about it. But yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that the Heisman is a week one or week two award. In fact, most I feel like most times when we're coming down to seeing who's going to win the Heisman, no one ever talks about week one or week two. They could care less. I think, you know, maybe maybe it's Caleb Williams versus Bo Nix. No one's going to start a conversation and say, well, Bo Nix put up 81 in week one and Caleb Williams only played two and a half quarters. Yeah. You, you know no what? one's going to care. You know what does matter for the Heisman early in the year when you're new on the scene? If you're a running back, like or Shador Sanders or something, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's Travis when early. Oh, okay. Oh, look at this guy. I mean, Reggie Bush against Fresno State. That was early in the year, right? Uh, yeah, I think it was pretty early. So that but everyone can, they knew who he was. Yeah, already, yeah. but that can kind of get you on the radar if you weren't a Heisman contender to start. Caleb Williams, the second the ball kicked off to start San Jose State, he was the Heisman favorite. So yeah. it's not like he needs to do anything magical right now. Yeah, we've got two more callers in the queue that we wow, can go to nice. right now. Love the callers. Thank uh, you. Yeah, keep them coming. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley, fellas. How you doing? Hey, Curtis. Hey, Curtis. All right. This is what I was thinking about. The spy on the quarterback. We're going to start facing some very dangerous runners at the quarterback position during this season. Tackett Curtis needs to spy the quarterback. Um, when you guys talk to the coaches and ask them questions, they have to think about it and answer the question. So you put it on their mind. Ask them, <laughs> are they going to spy 
Curtis, we're not we're not influencing the game. We're not influencing. No, no. If if you hey Ryan, if you ask them. Is Tackett Curtis going to start spying the quarterback? It'll be a nightmare for the quarterbacks if they train him correctly. It'll be a nightmare That's for us as I'm well with uh, their response to that question. Yeah, they, they don't like to share that kind of stuff. I mean, it, we saw Mason Yeah, Cur- but it – Oh, God. We lost uh, – I think we lost the call. Oh, sorry. Um, well, I think in week one against Chevron Cordero, we saw Mason Cobb kind of spy a lot. And I think that would be beneficial except that the pass rush – if you watched Oregon State play against San Jose State, they rushed, but they stayed in lanes, and USC sort of just like rushed with reckless abandon, and then it opened up opportunities. So even though you had a spy, it didn't seem to be all that effective because guys ran out, and you can't just you know just because you have a spy on it doesn't mean the guy can't run. You have to have people still doing their job, and the USC defensive front didn't do their job. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Tackett's, if that's like more his strength or not. It seemed like they felt like Mason Cobb would do that. Uh, I mean, a guy like Rajon Davis could probably do, do that a little bit. Um, so yeah, but I, you're probably going to see some sort of, uh, semblance of a spy and I don't know who it'll be Curtis, but I think it's really about that defensive front, not just running themselves out of plays and being able to like, Hey, if I don't get to the quarterback, I'm still taking up this space. Like this is my lane. I'm not letting him run through this big open spot that the spine has to run over and try to stop. Uh, I at least can force him to go into a certain area that the spy should be able to stop. And I think that's what happened was you ran out of plays and guys were, there's these wide open gaps and it's just, I don't care how many you need like two spies for something like that. (laughs) I liked what Curtis had to say though. The fact that he wants a spy, he's calling for a spy, I think is smart. Two things on that. I don't know if Tackett Curtis is the guy who wants spying because he's so new. We've already seen him get a little bit lost defensively. Throwing another thing on his plate right now I don't think is in his best interest. Now maybe he comes out and is the spy against Stanford and I'm wrong, but I, I don't think that's what they'll do. I think Rajon Davis, you mentioned his name, Ryan, if he is playing and Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry are out, or even if Eric Gentry does play, and Rajon Davis plays as well. He's the guy who makes the most sense to spy for me because of his speed, the fact that he can shed blockers really effectively, his strength. He is a little – he's not smaller, but he's shifty. He, he, he can get in front of a quarterback. He can slow a running quarterback down. I look at him as a guy who could spy. And as for us asking the question to the coaching staff about a spire, we really don't ask too much about X's and O's. I don't think they, they care no, they don't, that too they, much. They would be mad at us. <laughs> yes, they would. Yes, I was going to say that. About that. Like, we're not influencing uh, that. But, they, yeah, they don't want to talk about strategy like that. Are so. you sure uh, Alex Grinch isn't listening to hear about my Christian Roland Wallace hypothesis about him no. covering the I tight think end? He, he might have turned it off after <laughs> that point. I don't know. No, I, I would agree with Connor. I think Tackett Curtis has clearly got a lot of potential. But for the for, through the first two weeks, really, we've seen him kind of – he runs it, guys. He, he tries to make the big hits, but he hasn't been super polished yet. And that's what you need in a spy. The spy needs to be the most reliable guy on the field because they're, they have one job and they have – have to do it and USC didn't do a great job of, the, again, uh, of that against San Jose State there was one play where Mason Cobb was spying and you know he was in the right spot but just couldn't catch up to Chevin Cordero was kind of chasing him and didn't make the play like Alec, uh, Eric Gentry did this last year where he was actually a pretty good spy because he was in the right spot he is pretty athletic and then he's got such a long reach that he's able to you know at the last second reach out for a quarterback so I think Tackett Curtis maybe in the future could be a good spy but right now I'm not sure that you want to put that on his plate because it's, it's something that you can't mess up if you're the spy. Like you, you can't have a freshman mistake being a spy because that could really ruin a play. I also think the spy is not as important this week against uh, Stanford because as, when it comes to a designed quarterback run, 
you don't really need a spy for that because you, everyone knows the quarterback's going to run. Everyone's trying to stop the quarterback as opposed to a spy is you let the defensive front go after him and the spy is just kind of waiting there and he's pacing along the line, seeing if the quarterback is going to scramble. So that's when it's more important, I think. But I'm not sure Tackett Curtis would be the number one option going into this week. Yeah, to me, it's more about playing sound defense up front because, you know, Tackett Curtis is a freshman, but Ashton Daniels is a freshman. So he's, uh, you know, he doesn't know. He's very, you know inexper- inexperienced quarterback, right? Um, and so you can't give him easy outs. You can't say, "Oh, we're just you know the part the Red Sea," and there's <laughs> at, and anyone could figure that out. Like you want to make him think about, "Oh, wait, I, I wanted to go this way and I can't," and then I turn around and there's like Jamil Muhammad like yeah, you know, c- crushing him. So you want to be fundamentally sound up there and let him make freshman, you know. Inexperienced mistakes. He's a freshman, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's freshman. So, uh, I think you want to do that, and you know, I think if you have a freshman doing that, you're probably uh, opening yourself to your own mistakes. So, you, I think you want to be fundamentally sound and make him make some mistakes. All right, we've got one more caller. Let's make sure we get our words out quick, and you know, tell us your thoughts. Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. It's Dave from Iowa. I'll be quick, I promise. First of all, hey, I expect Alex Grinch and the safeties and corners to fully lock down the tight end. You know, last year, again, last year, first-year defense. This time around, hey, kind of seemed like I expect they know what they're doing. But i got two quick questions for you guys. USC pros this year, who's, who's going to be the standout? And second, um, in terms of rookie debuts, who wins it? Zachariah Branch or the running back from Colorado, Dylan Edwards? I like it. Uh, so pros... I mean, I'm on Russell Brown's going to have a huge year, right? Like, Artie, Artie's having a, a huge game. Yeah, he, he had at least one touchdown, right? Did he have yeah. two? I think it, it. from what I can tell from the comments, he is the only Lion that's playing well. So, <laughs> I have Drake London in two fantasy yeah. leagues, so I really hope he has a big year. Yeah, I think Pittman might be tough just because he's got a rookie quarterback. Um who else could be out there that's doing I, stuff? I think you could see Sam Darnold play pretty well if he gets a chance in, in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, every quarterback that goes into that system has such a leg up on basically all backup quarterbacks in the league. Like, we saw Sam Darnold go in that Adam Gase offense, sucked. But now <laughs> when you play under Kyle Shanahan, he makes things pretty easy from you so or for you. And, you know, all the signs were kind of positive out of camp. So if Brock Purdy were to go down or if, you know, maybe he isn't the player that everyone kind of thinks he is after half of a season as the starting quarterback, you can also see Talano Hufung. I mean, he was an all pro last year he's gonna have a great year again for san francisco i feel like he's probably right now it's it's amon ross st brown and, and hofunger who are the two best they also slid pretty far in the draft so it's, it's kind of interesting how that worked out what about jordan addison as a rookie and as a patriots fan i was very concerned with the report yesterday from foxborough that juju smith schuster's knee could explode at any moment in oh, time that's, that, that, that's, yeah, that's what a... someone tweeted and it was verified apparently so he's having some serious knee problems i hope he has a breakout year with the patriots because I'm a Patriots fan, and I would love to see him develop a connection with Mac Jones. But, yeah, what you said, Jack, those are the two top guys. So I'm rooting for Drake London and Juju Smith-Schuster, though. I, I, I think those guys, uh, if they do well, I'll be happy. I think Drake London is going to have a good year. And that actually leads us into a, an interesting question, uh, one of the first oh, ones from well, Real quick, the rookie one, or like oh, the, yes, the freshman yes. of the year. So the Colorado running back, I think it's going to be him, just because he's going to be like the workhorse there. Yeah, and he had three touchdowns, too, in his debut, including yeah. like a 75-yard receiving one. You Zach know. Branch is great, but there's just too many other receivers. Like Colorado, they need him to to be to play well. So, 
Well, thank you guys for all calling in. That was, yeah. that was excellent. Four different calls. Everyone had some good questions. And, you know, hopefully you guys come back Sunday and let us know your thoughts about the game when we do the post-game tunnel vision. But back to that question, Danny D asks on YouTube, rank these wide receivers for fantasy football. It's Amon Ross St. Brown, Jordan Addison, Drake London, Michael Pittman, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, Amon Ra one for sure. Yeah, I think London two. I would say, yeah, probably then Pittman, Addison. I mean, Addison might be ahead of Pittman just because of, like, the rookie quarterback thing. Like, I'd rather have Kirk Cousins and Jefferson across from him. Addison's the question mark. You just don't know what his role is going to be. But I I could certainly – he could even, in a great season, he could – do better than Drake London because the Falcons love to run the ball so much. Yeah. I don't think so. I wouldn't predict that, but he's kind of the the boomer bust, I'd say. Juju, never have anyone on your fantasy team that's on the Patriots. That's just a rule. <laughs> or Unless, that has a knee that might explode. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Yeah, that's not. I hope that doesn't good. happen. Yeah. Every it, time I get like a Patriots running back, like it could have a huge, like there's always three of them and it just yeah. and it rotates every week which one is going to get like the, you know, oh, this guy got three touchdowns and then he doesn't play for yeah, three weeks. And you're like, what's going on? And it was fine when they had Tom Brady and were winning, but now they stink and they don't have any fantasy <laughs> guys. So it's a double thumbs down from my end. Yeah, unless uh, Rob Gronkowski comes back. You don't want anyone in that receiving game no. for the Patriots, but everyone kind of had ranking on their mind. Daniel Smith asked on YouTube, question, can you rank these four freshmen skills? Skill guys by speed. It's Joiner, Jacoby Lane, Mackay Lemon, and Deuce Robinson. Oh, probably Joiner. Yeah, Mackay second, I think. And then maybe Deuce. Deuce Robinson faster. I think like top speed for sure. He he hit. I think Chris said twenty one miles an hour on that touchdown. Something like that. Yeah. And then Jacoby Lane, one, two, three, four. Yeah, Lane. I mean, I think Lane's got some speed, but not. I think he's not as fast as those other guys. But, I mean, we haven't seen him a whole lot, so it's mostly from what we're hearing and stuff. Yeah. All right, we've got another ranking one. Cameron asks, what are your top Ranks. three greatest moments of the Stanford-USC rivalry? Oh, geez. Maybe everyone says one, and then we get to three. Yeah, we could uh, – I mean, that just goes back like a long yeah. – way. I mean, the, the more recent is like the Ed Orgeron, um, you know, getting that win over a top – you know, was it – Stanford was like number four at the time. And uh, I think Stanford got into USC, like past the USC 35-yard line, like nine times, if I'm not mistaken, like nine times in that game. But that was a huge win. I'm a big Orgeron fan. I mean, I just liked him. I think that was one of the the really big, uh, big moments uh, in that rivalry. <laughs> I'm newer. I was not a Clay Helton guy. I couldn't believe USC held on to him for as long as they did. So I'll just go the game that ended up getting... Good old Clay Helton fired is is my best memory. I'm sure a lot of fans agree. Yeah, and then you have USC's only Pac-12 championship game win is over Stanford as well. That was a, you know a good one. Didn't end up winning the bowl game, but it was that was an entertaining back and forth game. You had that Uchenna Nuosu. I think a Stonewall was like the call on 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 the Pac-12 network after that call, or he gets that big stop at the goal line. Sam Darnold converts on that third down late in the game to get the win. Like that was I think the the best recent memory at least for USC fans. And then there's so many more dating back for such a long time. But I think these are some of the ones that stick out. Unless you guys have any more. Yeah. The, the the, um, there was one, uh, it was like a Pac-12 championship game and uh, when Christian McCaffrey was uh, playing. Yeah, I was there for that. that was... And uh, he was just going bananas. And I'm blanking on, it might have been 
it might have been Justin Wilcox was the defensive coordinator for USC. And we were like in the press box right next to the defensive box. And we could hear him <laughs> screaming. I, I, man, I'm, I think it was Wilcox, but I may, I'm, excuse, excuse me if I was wrong, but hear him screaming about not them, you know, them not being able to stop. Or it might have been Pinter. Ah, I forget who it was. My bad. I, my brain's not working. Someone in the chat like put who that was. But when Christian McCaffrey went off in the Pac-12 championship game, it was in Levi Stadium, and you could just hear them going like absolutely bonkers uh, trying to get a stop. And then there was like a great Andrew Luck game uh, where USC had a pick six in it, and it was like double overtime or something, and you know, Stanford ended up winning one. But that was like a really good one, too, just seeing that one in the – in the Coliseum, that was you know that was a while ago, but that was a good one too. There was a lot of great you know Stanford games. Yeah, let us know in the comments what some of your guys' favorite memories are to kind of jog our memories. It's it's hard when you're up here and you know, you got the headset on the mic and then someone asks like, what are your top three favorite? And then you all of a sudden don't remember a word at all or how to form sentences yes. sometimes. But there's another good question and we haven't really talked about this yet and maybe we don't have to stick on it for too long. But Andrew on YouTube asks, around what week in the NFL season will we probably have a clear view of what Caleb will do next year? He says follow up if Caleb does stay which is more likely uh, to transfer Moss or Nelson? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's super likely that he stays, but um, it's not, I, you know, his dad saying this, it's not out of the question. It might just be a message to like whoever, you know, we're, we don't want to go to a crappy organization. It doesn't mean a, the team doesn't do bad, but they want to make sure it's a button down sort of organization. Um, you know, we saw Eli Manning kind of do this back in the day. Uh, and, you know, the, Chargers end up getting Drew Brees, right? So it wasn't, you know, and, and Manning wins two Super Bowls with the Giants. And, uh, you know, he he's the most, you know, he's on all these commercials and everything right now. He's the biggest name in college football. So you can kind of throw your weight around a little bit. But at the end of the day, um, I, I get it. You want to get that second rookie. Con you want to get that second contract, like the Justin Herbert kind of money, not just yeah. like the $38 million that Bryce Young's getting or whatever it is. Um, so I, I think this is just more sort of like setting things up for like if, if, if it's looking like a team that they don't want, uh, it's sort of like a threat or something out there like we don't need to come out. So don't tank for us or, you know, I, my guess it's more of something like that. But I don't know who we'll see. If the Cardinals are winless and just terrible and it's not as close as it is in some years, that race to the bottom, maybe around Thanksgiving, you might have an idea. But it usually takes a little bit longer into later December, yeah. January, even sometimes to see who that last or who that first pick is. So it depends. If someone's generationally bad, then maybe earlier. But I, I wouldn't expect to know until around the holidays. So we'll see with that. And as for if Caleb did come back, that's a great question because I feel like Miller Moss would be the, in the same exact situation he's in this year. Thinks he has a really good shot to win the job the following year. I wonder if that would be enough for him to stick around another year. That's even crazy to think about. Malachi, if Caleb comes back, all bets are off with what he would do. Yeah, we're not sure. And, you know, we'll see. Like, Miller Moss might get a whole bunch of stats just being the backup quarterback this year. And he's like, you know, this isn't too bad. Like, I still will be able to get the play. I, you know, well, you know, it's, uh, it kind of depends on a lot of that stuff. I imagine after just kind of thinking about it more, after this year, if Caleb comes back, I feel like he'd have to, Miller would have to. Want to go play somewhere Spread else. his wings somewhere else. And all of US, the USC family, not USC Nation. I said USC Nation go. once and people got mad. All of USC, the USC family would be really high on Miller wherever he went. Yeah. That wherever, he, he could put up big numbers this yeah, year. Well, and you couldn't blame him if Caleb decides to come exactly. back. You would, you would expect him to. You would almost be like, you should transfer. Yeah. Like, go get a chance to play. And, and he's he was you know, USC's highest graded offensive player in week one, surprisingly, you know, in garbage time. But uh, I, I think Caleb kind of shut down 
every question about the NFL for the rest of the year with one answer yesterday. So to answer this question, we will not know during USC season. That's all I'm going to say. Like, you won't know about what Caleb plans on doing until USC season is fully over and the NFL draft is right around the corner. You know, maybe it comes down to those make the decision after the bowl game, everything like that. But I don't expect at all for Caleb Williams to come out at any point during USC season and make any comment about the NFL. And he kind of made that clear yesterday. Yeah, the kind of history recently, you got like the Matt Barkley's or Matt Liner's like coming back where, you know, they could have gone. Um, Mark Sanchez was like the one guy that kind of left early. He had only started like 15 or 16 games. Um, and Pete Carroll, I remember being at that press conference in Heritage Hall, Pete Carroll was not very happy about that one. But uh, for the uh, a lot of times, quarterbacks have come back. So it's not like unprecedented at USC, guys that were, you know, clear high picks. But I don't know if anyone was... Barkley or, or Leinart weren't like the number one pick, like going into their, you know, junior year. So I think that's uh, that's why it makes it a little less likely. But like like Jack said, like Caleb's not going to talk about it. So I don't think it's going to be. It's just sort of those things out there. Keep in the back of your mind, like eh, maybe it comes back. But I, I would I wouldn't put too much stock into it. All right, let's get into our predictions for the game. Okay. USC favored by 29. I, we can kind of display it here. And then like we did it last week, I want to hear who you have as a team MVP. Oh, I like that. Um, so we all – so look at uscfootball.com. I put all the picks for the whole staff, and we all picked USC to cover the 38 or whatever it was last week, and USC won by 52. This one's 29. It's conference game, another home game, and then you know, kind of a little break from home games for a while. Uh, I kind of, I mean, I like USC to score a bunch, but I feel like this is going to be more of like a 49-24 sort of thing. I think, you know, last year, uh, you know, a, a bad Stanford team scored 14 points late. I mean, I think we've seen Miller Moss, like basically when USC's covered the spread last week, it was Miller Moss doing it, like because... And Stanley T. Yeah, and Caleb, yeah, and, and getting a defensive <laughs> touchdown. Caleb Williams is already out of the game. Um you know, and so I feel like it's it's one of those things where you could kind of go back and forth. But I think Stanford's going to be a little bit better. I think USC wins comfortably, but I could see it be by 24 or 28 and not like more than four touchdowns. So I'm going to, this. I'll take uh, Stanford plus 20, 29. This, but I'd like it's something in like a 49, 24 kind of game. Like I said earlier, I have USC covering. In the email I sent to you, Ryan, I have 56, 21. That was before... Or I guess I always knew Stanford had a good kicker, but I didn't register that in my pick. I can change the score and still have him cover. So 56-24 will be my official okay. pick. And then I, I just think USC's offense, it's generationally good. This Stanford defense, I don't think they'll be able to slow them down. I, I mean, I, I don't think it'll look like Nevada where USC's scoring on four plays every drive. <laughs> but I, I think USC's going to score a lot of points. And Stanford might score, you know, three touchdowns, but that's it's just this year with the USC offense, they're too good, and I'm riding them to to win big. And the the model I use for gambling, I bring it up on the show all the time. It, they have USC, the the guy I, I follow, he has USC winning by I think 34. So I'm gonna ride or die with this guy. He hasn't uh, steered me wrong so far this season. All right. How much did he tell you that Clemson was gonna beat Duke by? That was all heart. <laughs> And that's why the, I'm sure the model still had Clemson winning, but because that was a big surprise. But that was all heart, Jack, and that was a big mistake. Yeah, yeah. I've got a uh, give me USC 48 to 17, so they cover just by a couple points. I don't think they get all the way to 50. I, you know, I, I don't think Stanford is as bad as you know, definitely not as bad as Nevada. I don't think they're as bad as San Jose State, although that one maybe you lean the Spartans. But I, I just I think it's going to be a little bit closer. Like even if Stanford's not the greatest team, like this being a rivalry matchup, the last time that they're going to come to the Coliseum. 
at least in their college careers. Like we don't know when the next game is going to be, but all these guys, I doubt they make another trip to the Coliseum to play USC in their career. Like they're going to step up for the bigger met- matchup, and I don't think it comes in as you know the Stanford scoring a lot of points against USC, but I just don't think that the Trojans get all the way to 50. Though I do think they still cover. And since I had last pick for MVP last week, and kind of all my guys got stolen, I'm going to go first this time. Okay. I think it's going to be Dorian Singer. I think we saw Jordan Addison have a huge game, especially in the first half, catching deep balls against Stanford. Dorian Singer kind of represents that in, in USC's wide receiver room this week, and I think this is a week they try and unleash him a little bit more. He had that nice chemistry play with Caleb on the sideline last week. Uh, this this week, I think they finally let him get some more snaps. I think the ball goes his way a little bit more. Uh, you know, maybe if Caleb's first read isn't there, he's going deeper to Dorian Singer. So I've got Dorian Singer being the team MVP this week. I'm going to go with a guy that sort of had a little breakout last week, Marshawn Lloyd. I think maybe they'll run the ball a little bit more this week. That's part of the reason why I'm not going to pick him to cover, that there might be fewer possessions. Like, you know, Connor mentioned, they scored a whole bunch of touchdowns. All of them were four. (laughs) I don't think you can continue doing that. You know, that was – and they were still sort of questioning about covering until the end. So um, I feel like there's just going to be fewer possessions in this game, and, like, you're going to see maybe a couple touchdowns from Lloyd. So I'll pick him as my MVP. I have Mario Williams this week. I think I like it. he will have a breakout game. I think he'll catch a touchdown. I mean, Caleb's the obvious choice. Caleb is off limits exactly. for all week. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Last week, he was the clear MVP. Last week, I also picked Jamil Muhammad. I'm not picking a defensive guy this week. Although, I think Bear Alexander is going to have a huge game. Mario Williams is my pick. He was very close to a couple touchdowns last week. Yeah, that one where he slipped. It definitely seemed like they were trying to get, get him going. And it, it, I don't know if it, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Like, it feels like they're definitely targeting guys, you know, that maybe haven't had the most opportunities just to, not to keep everyone happy, but to keep everyone kind of confident, spread the ball around as much as possible. They were really pushing the ball to Mario Williams on one drive. In the first game, you know, Brendan Rice hadn't factored into the game much against San Jose State. They get him a late touchdown. So they're spreading the ball to everyone. And I, I think that's a good move, especially with how many guys they have. And Dennis Simmons says the group's been handling this all very well. And I think it, it makes it easier when Caleb and Lincoln are spreading the ball around to really everyone. Sweet. All right. Any final thoughts? Well, I just want to thank everybody for uh, you know coming along with us on our television show, and I hope you guys like the new intro because I love it. I think it's awesome, and uh, you know, thanks for liking it, thanks for sharing it with your friends, and following along with us. We'll be back on uh, Sunday, um, and uh, yeah, we'll have a tunnel vision with an interview with a player, and then we'll have our regular tunnel vision show, 7 p.m. live uh, here in the studio again recapping uh usc and stanford but looking forward to it look forward to the last i mean not i'm not happy it's the last stanford game but you know the first conference game you get a little bye week after this so it's gonna be you know you get a good little uh you know college football is like really really happening now this week with a lot of good games and uh, usc stanford being one of them yeah, I get to watch you know Texas Alabama. There's some other Pac-12 teams playing Power Five opponents. Uh, there's the NFL on now. Obviously, if you're watching Tunnel Vision right now with Thursday Night Football on, you guys are the real fans. Especially if you've left a like and and subscribed and everything like that. But anyways, if you guys don't have any other thoughts, you know we can send this one over to Saturday where USC will play Stanford in the Coliseum. It's a late one, so we'll probably bring a layer or two, and you get to watch USC under the lights. And I'm sure we'll see many of those celebrations where they flash the lights saying USC because the Trojans will score so many points. But anyways, USC will take on Stanford this weekend. Thank you guys so much for watching Tunnel Vision. For Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette, I'm Jack Smith. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you on Sunday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.